Thank you for joining us this morning at Genesis Community Church. Very glad that you're here. My name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, which is a joy. And one thing that is true for me, probably true for you, is my propensity to, uh, well, I'm just malleable. And by that, I mean I take on the personalities of, like, I just I, people influence me. So if I'm listening to, like, Nate Bargetzi's comedy, I will start, I, there are actually sermons, if you go back and listen, where you can tell when I was listening heavily to him that week, because my cadence is even the same. I just start speaking like he does. I'm not as funny as he is, but I'll get there. Um, if I, you know, we do the kids' ministry songs, where we, every two months we have a verse or verses that we're giving to our kids' ministry, and then on Family Sundays, they have been singing them and helping us learn those as well. I've been doing that uh, on and off for years to help me, but it's funny when I start to put the kids' ministry songs together, I find myself, I'm like, oh man, that's actually the melody to the song I was just listening to. Man, and I'll find something else, I'm like, why, you know, why did J. Cole have to do that? Or whatever it is where I find, I've seen, I said that was only for Derek, that joke. I actually don't listen to J. Cole. Um, and so they just become a part of how I think. I'm like, oh, I did it again. And so I find myself regularly, even, even though I view myself as, you know, kind of my own person, I find myself regularly absorbing whatever it is around me, absorbing kind of the influences of those around me, doing the things of those around me, maybe even liking the things of people around me. But accommodation never really gets us where we need to get going, does it? It doesn't actually, it doesn't actually get us all the way there when we realize that we look too much like the world, where we realize that we care too much about things that don't matter, where we're less concerned about the things of God and more concerned about the things of man. When that happens, we have problems. We have problems with how we live. We have problems with how we relate to one another. We have problems even with our ability to obey. But again, we're fighting in this battle of flesh and spirit where in the flesh, we often want to absorb and accommodate and blend in and look like everybody else. But in the spirit, we recognize that we belong to the Lord Jesus, we are his, and we are citizens of a different kingdom. And yet far too often, our citizenship looks much more like citizens of this world. We get hot and bothered and lathered up about all the stuff that's bothering people in the world. Uh, we just consume news commentary that makes us look far too much like the world. We read things that just get into us emotionally in ways, for whatever reason, the scriptures never have the same level of depth of impact. And so often it's because we want to blend in. I don't, I don't think that everybody in this room needs to be a culture warrior. I think that's the wrong battle to fight. No reason to be a culture warrior. But if you're here this morning and you have called on the name of the Lord Jesus and you have faith in him, you do recognize the battle that exists to live as a citizen of God's kingdom while maybe the allure of this world still exists. The desires of this world are still there. The temptations of this world are still there. And so it felt 
appropriate in this summer season to enter into the book of Judges. The book of Judges is not one that we generally find ourselves just like gravitating toward. We're like, yeah, let's read the book of Judges. I'm really like, let's do a Bible study on that. In fact, in fact, there's probably one judge most people can name if you grew up in Sunday school. Anybody? Samson, the hair guy. Yeah. Like all we know about Samson is if you cut his hair, he loses his power. But what you may not know about Samson is the dude was terrible. Like he was a bad judge. The worst of all of the judges. He was the last judge. He gets the most Uh, The most comments about the spirit being upon him, he has the most power at his disposal. He has the uniqueness of God's promise and an angel declaring his birth and his parents setting him aside as a Nazarite. All of that's going for him and he is just terrible. And then meanwhile, you get the first judge whose name is Otniel and Otniel, you don't hear much about him, but he's actually the best. First judge is the best, last judge is the worst. We know about the last judge, but we know nothing about his character. We just know about his hair. That's usually where it goes. But what we're going to see as we go into this series for the entire summer is just how faithful God is even when his people are not. How kind he is to them, how caring he is toward them, the protector that he is for them, even in moments, and not just moments, but decades of disobedience. The book of Judges kind of happens in between They've come into the land, and they're to take the land, but we don't yet have a theocracy or a monarchy where the ruler is listening to the Lord, and that's a big part of Judges. It kind of transitioned us from life in the land into life that we see with the kingdom, the monarchy, uh, which becomes divided very quickly. So we're going to first go through the just briefly the history We're going to see a command that God gives, which is very important. We'll see the disobedience of the people and the way that he brings rebuke, which is actually the reading from Judges chapter 2. Because some of these chunks are going to be like bigger pieces, we're not going to read always all of, I mean, you're going to, the Samson sermon, you're not going to read three chapters of Samson here. That'd be our entire time. And so... I will highlight where we're going, and and as we move through this, I'll say, hey, look at this, look at this. In fact, it will probably be easier for you through this entire series if you have a paper Bible. You don't have to have one, but it's going to be harder to scroll and find things. I might even tell you to highlight or underline or mark things so that you can start to see some themes. So if you don't have one, might be a good time to get one in general. Uh, I'll be reading from the ESV. Other sermons may not be in that, but like that's where I'll be. So if you're looking for a translation one, you can grab one on the back. But it's just sometimes easier to see things you know, bigger than just what your screen's gonna give you. That's gonna help you as you go through this and as we need to see certain aspects. But let's start with the book of Judges in general. The book of Judges is a book about a people looking to fit in and a God who's looking for faithfulness. A people looking to fit in and a God who's looking for faithfulness. In fact, as we see these people, they might not say they're trying to fit in. Nobody says, I mean, my kids say this all the time, I didn't mean to. Like, like that's always the phrase we get, I didn't mean to, it wasn't my point, I wasn't trying, I wasn't trying to, as if like partially obeying and then partially disobeying somehow works itself out and, and blends. That's more karmic than it is anything else, where it's like, well, if I'm going to do more good than bad, and at least I meant to do good, 
Like, like that doesn't really work. And you'll see these kind of partial obediences throughout the book of Judges until you get to the end. And so there's this uh, land command in Deuteronomy. It's important to know. Deuteronomy 7 gives a land command. But the structure that we'll see, and there's actually a little Judges chart. You saw it as you walked in. As you walk out, it's going to be on your left. That's from the Bible Project. Uh, and I like the way they break it down, right? Charts don't really tell you. Like, I don't, it wasn't like the Spirit was like, this is how we're going to do Judges. But they become a kind of a good way to see big breakdowns. Remember, Bible chapters and verses weren't inspired. And so we're doing a little work to try and help it organize for us. But you really have three big parts of the book of Judges. The first part is just the intro and summary material. That's pretty easy. That's like 1-1 one, one through 3. You can even go all the way through chapter 3 if you want to, but right there through 3-6 is where it's going to get you. So the first two weeks, we're going to be in the intro material. Then you move into the cycles. The cycles are all the judges' stories. That actually is 3-7 all the way through chapter 16, starting with O'Neill and ending with Samson. And some judges, I mean, poor like... Uh, Ah, uh, the ox goad guy. He gets like one verse. Like, it's like, he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. That's all he gets. Um, and I'm going to hear the story in heaven, but unfortunately, I would like to know more about how you kill that many people with that weapon. But that's all you get is a verse. So we're going to have like battle and fighting and crazy stuff. In fact, on Family Sunday, we are telling a story of child sacrifice. That wasn't on purpose, but... <clears throat> Uh, end of July, that's where it's going to line up. So bring your kids on Family Sunday. Uh, we will talk about the, you know, the big mistakes parents make when they're unfaithful. So uh, I'm sure, I was even talking to Lindsay about that this week, our kids ministry leader. And I was like, uh, I was like, you know what? I think Jephthah is on Family Sunday. And she's like, oh, do it. It's going to be great. The kids are going to love it. Uh, so, all right. And then we have two stories, 17 through 21, that, that we don't know exactly when they happen, but there's one story in you know, 17, 18, uh, and then 19, 20, 21. We kind of have these two stories right in there that illustrate just how depraved the people were. And so we get it. We tell the story through the leaders in 3 through 16, but then we actually have like civil war and battling and unfaithful priesthood, like all of that's going on in the back end, and it's all just these stories of darkness, disobedience, and disintegration. So that's what we're going to see. Now, why do those kinds of things matter? Well, we're often tempted, right? We've already said to absorb the culture that's around us, and we neglect obedience, it's so common for us to neglect obedience. I mean, how many of you, we did the show of hands thing last week and we failed miserably. So I'm not even going to, I'll just ask it in your heart. But how many of us know good things for us to do? I don't even mean like as a believer. I just mean as like a human being. How many of us know good things to do that we don't do? Yeah, the doctor says I should eat less and move more, but I think the doctor's stupid. Like... <laughs> Like that's, that, that sums up depravity. Like, you know, like, like I, I overconsume, I overindulge, I live for myself, I like my own comforts, and when people tell me otherwise, I tell them that's their problem, right? Like, like that's how we love to live, and that's even in our culture what we exalt is just our own disobedience. We don't even do the things that are good for us, that we know are good for us. Remove Christian, non-Christian, like it's just, it's just helpful to be loving, and we won't even do that. Like, I'd rather be vindictive. I'd rather be a jerk. Would that help? Probably not, but let's give it a run and see. And here we are, needing the grace of God. I'm going to give you just four 
themes in Judges. There are others in Judges, but I'll give you four themes in the book of Judges. One is God's sovereignty. You see his power over everything. He is still in control. In fact, you'll even see like the Lord strengthened enemies against Israel. You'll see that kind of language where like Eglon, the king of Moab, is strengthened against Israel. And so God is moving powerfully throughout the book of Judges, and if it was written and we kind of know more than even they did then, we realize that God has been faithful the entire time. Along with that, we will see God's faithfulness to keep his promises. Always there. In fact, you hear that in the language of the angel. I will not break my covenant with you. I said this to you. Thirdly, we will see man's disobedience and idolatry. Just the absorption absorption of what's going on around, the liking of things that are going on around. This, for me, is the spooky one because I see this in so many of us. I see this in so many of us where we love the wrong things. I, 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 I sometimes say it like this. We've done reading around this uh, with my, my students. Um, I didn't come up with this. Uh, but the, the, the idea of sin, sin is an affective disorder. We have the wrong desires. It's not just that we do the wrong things. We desire the wrong things. And you see that all the time in the book of Judges. You probably see that all the time in your own life. And so we see man's disobedience and idolatry. And you see, you say good, you can even replace that with godly. Good fit better than godly. Godly moved it on to the next line uh, so because of the extra letter. So we just, uh, we just sit with good. But like you'll see that God actually uses people to bring about peace in the land. God uses people. We often don't think of it like that. Like, but God has always used people, men, women, children, to bring about the things that he is doing. And we can't lose that as we're in the book of Judges. Even these imperfect judges that I would want none of you to ultimately be like, when God uses them, there is peace in the land the entire time that judge is ruling. And then when the judge dies, the people go their own way again. Uh, and, And so there is that theme that you begin to see. We don't often think of that as Christians where maybe your kind presence in a coworker's life actually becomes the reminder for them that they shouldn't operate in a certain way because they don't want to cross you. Well, a person who doesn't know the Lord Jesus might do that. Like they're not thinking of it in terms of them and God. They're thinking in terms of it between them and you and your positive spirit-led kind influence in their life might actually prevent them from being a bonehead from time to time. And we see that in the book of Judges. We see what God does for his people when judges are raised up and they do what God had put before them to do. Like I said, Samson, though, he's like a brawler. He's a drinker, he's a brawler, and he's a womanizer. He's basically all of those things. Um... Samson ends at the hand, his life ends at the hands of his enemies. It doesn't, he doesn't live his life peacefully. He doesn't end his life peacefully. He ends blind, blind and enslaved. And the last thing that he could do is go on a suicide mission to try and take out a few Philistines while he is enslaved by them. Like that's as far as it gets. People don't like Samson so much, they actually are willing to go, you can have him. Like his own people are like, you can take him. I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. That's what I mean when we see it. Otniel, we can introduce you in chapter one. We'll see him again as the judges begin. But that's where we start. Now let's begin with this command we see to take the land. 
I'm going to give a few verses here. This is in chapter 1. So again, easier if you look, but you can, you can, uh, I'm not going to give you every verse on the screen because I want you actually to look here and see a few things. But what we begin with is with this command to take the land. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 7. He's going, I'm going to send you into a land, and you're going to go, and you're going to take no prisoners. It's your land, and you're going to live in houses that you didn't build. You're going to have vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to, you're going to step into this, and it's going to be yours. This is what the Lord is doing, and this is what the Lord had commanded. After Moses died, he hands the leadership reins to Joshua. Joshua brings the people through the land, and as he brings them into the land, right? Moses dies, he's only able to look out at it, but Joshua brings them into the land, and now they're kind of like, all right, let's go. But they don't go. They start from the beginning sort of going. But like, they can't get out of second gear. They're just going, like that's just kind of how they mow through the land, the whole time. So if you look at verse 1, you see this line, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? That's the question that they ask. The Lord says in verse 2, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Judah being the tribe Right, so Judah shall go up. Now I want us just to stop right there because Judah's about to go up into the land and they start battling, but what begins to happen is like they take this king, Adoni Bezek, they caught him, and then they chop off his thumbs and his big toes. They chop off his thumbs and his big toes. Now, in one sense, that makes a lot of tactical sense if you are realizing how important big toes are for stability. I mean, if anybody in this room, we don't have to talk about it, but if anybody in this room is missing a big toe, you probably have to watch where you step. Your big toe is, you don't even think about it. I mean, you think about how Paul talks about the body of Christ. He's like, well, you know, everyone wants to be like the, the, the cool and attractive parts, but like, if you don't have a big toe, you can't walk straight. And so like people have to operate differently. They cut off his thumbs because now you can't hold things. You can't hold weapons. But remember this, right? Because I talk like this now. The command wasn't maim the leaders. That actually wasn't the command. You see how at times, and our kids do this and we do this, we're told to do something, and you're like, I have a better idea. And like we think that we're helping, but we're actually not helping. We're hurting it because when anybody, a leader, Somebody in authority, a parent, a pastor, a friend, when they say, hey, we're doing X, and they go, hey, you know what I'm going to do? X, Y, and Z. And you go, that's actually, that has nothing to do with what we were talking about. There was a specific request made. The request God gave was, take no prisoners, go into the land. But instead of doing that, they do some battle, and the, and the Lord is gracious with them, but they already start at the very beginning. We should realize, because the land promise is already there in Deuteronomy, previously given, they already start disobeying from the beginning. I have a better idea. Let's just make it really hard for this guy to be better. Let's, let's set an example for him, and of him, and let's let everybody know that he, if you mess with us, this is what's going to happen to you. Caleb's daughter is given to Otniel, our first judge in this. Caleb does have this demonstration of like valiant fighter. He does do this and he does it well. Caleb's daughter then is given. But Caleb can go into the land because he had confidence in God. He knew what God could accomplish. He said, we can take this. We can do this. 
And so we have this example of Othniel stepping in. He becomes a judge later, but we already get introduced to him in chapter 1 on a positive side. But then again, we have all of these problems where we see these kinds of things. Because it's common for us to think we're okay when really we're not okay. We're doing rather poorly. Like it's common for us to go, no, I'm good. I'm good. Things are good. When really nothing's good. And so you might even be the one who had the battle and fought the guy and now Adoni Bezek has his issue, Adonai Bezek has his issue, and you're ready to go, yeah, that guy's a fool, right? And all you do is dismiss and push down and hide all the ways that you disobeyed. You highlight this one thing you did, which isn't what you were supposed to do, as if you're good and you're not. Oftentimes we're doing poorly because we don't listen to God's word. We don't read it, we don't obey it, we don't, we don't submit to it, we submit to the parts that we like. Very often we're doing poorly because we try to live in our own strength and not the strength of the spirit of Christ which is within us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides in every believer, but we try to live in our own strength which is called the flesh. We try to live in ways that make us better, make us more right. Sometimes we're poorly because we just like to hide who we are we live for ourselves. We don't realize, as we just came out of the series, that we have a commission to make disciples of all nations. The ultimate concern actually isn't that we have forgotten certain things. Like, oh, I, I have to know every single thing and do all these things perfectly. The, the issue is that we have forgotten what is most important. We've forgotten the faithfulness of God toward us. We've forgotten our identity that belongs in him. And we start to make names for ourselves. And anytime you try to make a name for yourself, anytime you try and add to what God is doing to make it better, you only end up with something that is worse. Even if uh, military conquest, which is what we saw, happens, we still have problems in our obedience. And that's what we see in this next phase, theme num- you know, number two for the book of Judges. Man's disobedience. God's people already begin compromising. They're already starting to come up with half-truths, half-ways of getting it done, as if that's okay. So I just want you to, if, you, if, you, if you're cool marking your Bible, great. I have them printed out here and, and, and highlighted. But if you just go to verse 27, I'm, gonna just, I'm not even going to read all these verses. But Manasseh did not drive out. You see that word? Did not drive out. That phrase, Judges 128. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Forced labor was not what God asked to do. It was not what he told them to do. Verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. The Canaanites rather lived among them. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko. Verse 32, the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. 
it actually now starts to flip as you get to the Danites. And this is kind of moving south to north. If you know the tribal allotments, it's moving south to north. And the northern kingdom has really never looked on positively in the history of the nation. And so as we get further, farther and farther north, we get worse and worse tellings of the story and more and more disobedience. Judah does some good, but we get further and further north. We don't see it. Dan was actually supposed to get an allotment on the coast. They were supposed to be on the west side of the land on the coast where the Philistines are, but they got there and they're like, eh, those dudes, we're not taking them. And so Dan is actually the northernmost tribe because they landed farthest north because that was a nice looking place, became a really easy place for them to set up. It actually is a beautiful place with, with like, like streams and, uh, and wells and springs. And so you have great resources there, but that's actually not the place that God told them to go. That wasn't their allotment. They took a different allotment. But look at verse 34. Whereas you have some battling but not driving out, now you actually have the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country and did not even allow them to come down to the plain. So this tribe didn't drive out. This tribe didn't drive out. This tribe didn't drive out. They lived among them, lived among them, lived among them. Then you get to Dan and you have the Danites who can't even get there because the Amorites are too strong for them. In fact, in chapter 17, when we get there toward, you know, in August, you have the Danites looking still for a place to go. They're still looking for an allotment in chapter 17, trying to find a place. Compromise exists everywhere. Compromise exists everywhere. We make all kinds of oaths. We make all kinds of promises. We say all kinds of things to our friends, our families, our church members, fellow leaders. We say everything and go, yeah, I'll do this. And we don't do it. We read the word. We see what the Lord says. We go, I'm in, God. I'll do it. And then we don't do it. God is a gracious and compassionate and loving God. And he continues to pursue. And we will find that the entire time. But I I would just... I'm just going to say this for us. Obedience wasn't an Old Testament thing. It wasn't just an Old Testament thing, and now we go, oh, cool, we have Christ's obedience, so we don't have to think about it anymore. Christ himself said, teach to obey all that I have commanded. The New Testament is littered with both indicative statements that are true and imperatives, ways that we should live because of what is true. It is full of that kind of language. And so very often we read that and go, well, who could obey this? Who could do this? Who could set this up? And the answer is like, oh, nobody. You need the Lord. That's why the new covenant's here. That's why we have his spirit. Because yes, in a positional place, I am fully right with the Father. There are ways I am his always. I belong to him. And Christ's righteousness is my righteousness. But that is not my get-out-of-obedience-free card. Get out of honoring for the Lord, living for the Lord, growing up and maturing in the Lord. In fact, read the letter to the Hebrews. The author of the Hebrews is rather dissatisfied with the flaccid, immature state of the congregation. Even to go so far as to say things like, you should know this by now. But now I have to go and teach you again. We shouldn't, have to, we shouldn't have to repeat the lesson, but here we go. And so, so there are all kinds of ways as a person 
positioned in Christ and seated in the heavenlies, we have God's word, God's commands, and we still love to compromise. We long for comfort in living for ourselves, even with God's spirit, even with God's presence, even with God's kindness. And the Lord is even gracious to remind us through his word through other brothers and sisters who read his word, through the power of his spirit, he is gracious to rebuke us of ways that we are wandering and living in disobedience. He's about to do that as we get into chapter 2. But before we get into chapter 2, I want to go into Joshua for a moment. We're going to go into Joshua because I want you to know where Gilgal is. Not, not geographically, but why it matters. So they cross into the land. Joshua 4.19, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. I talked last week about the the road Dalrymple, which is their uh, exit on I-10 as you get into Baton Rouge that brings you into LSU's campus. That road means a lot to me, one, because the first church that ever hired me in a full-time capacity, their address is 3355 Dalrymple Drive. It's right there on LSU's campus. That's thing number one. Uh, But thing number two, when I went to go visit LSU as a high school student with my mom, uh, now there's an extra value there because my mom passed some years ago, and so I still have that memory of mom. Like, we exit Dalrymple. And so even like that road, and you go, and I'm sure there's graffiti, and it's like, it's not, the, it's not the prettiest road that you exit onto, but you do exit and see a lake, and then you head over to campus. It gets prettier and prettier. It's the first thing I saw. You go over the bridge of the Mississippi, you hang right, right? I-10 goes down to one lane for about 100 yards. It's the most ridiculous thing, but Louisiana. So I exit down, but it matters. Well, Gilgal is that place of remembering God's deliverance, God bringing people Out of the Jordan, the second time the waters have parted and the people have crossed on dry land. Out of bondage from Egypt into the land God had promised. Both times God gives them a path through water. And they set up stones and they remember what happened there at Gilgal. Many people actually uh, from this generation had not been circumcised, so they all get circumcised In Joshua chapter 5, they remind themselves of the covenant. And then in so doing that, after they circumcised the whole nation in Joshua 5, 8, they remained until they were healed, which makes a lot of sense. And then in verse 9, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. Gilgal was a place of covenant renewal for the nation. It was a clear reminder of God's faithfulness, that he delivered them. There are the stones that remind us of what he has done. We can talk about, testify, and speak of his faithfulness right here. And now they're there. At Bochim, place of weeping. And the angel of the Lord, they have all these reminders of God's faithfulness, but the angel of the Lord traverses, travels from the place of covenant renewal to the place where they currently are of disobedience to bring about God's words, God's rebuke. And in this rebuke, 
God comes. The angels speaks on his behalf. Angels never speak on their own behalf. They never, they never execute their own will. Disciples today should never execute their own will, but what the Lord would have. But God comes, sending a messenger, an angel, to remind his people of what he's asked and what they've done. This is always what's gracious of God. You know, you know how every, if you're ever in marriage and, and you're having a fight with your spouse and you go, hey, what can I do? And the spouse goes, figure it out. And you're just like, listen, honey, I, you, we have determined I am an idiot. Like we've established I don't know what's going on and I'm not good at this. And so if I don't know how I can help, this is gonna be real bad for real long. Um, so... Like I, I, Courtney and I had this line. It was learned from one of my mentors, which is like, I can't read your mind. I can't read your mind. I don't have that level. It's like, well, you should know. I'm like, I, honestly, I just don't know. Can we just assume I'm, I am in kindergarten when it comes to this kind of stuff and just let me know? And so the Lord comes differently than even human relationships come where we give inexact standards and inexact expectations and we speak unclearly and all with emotion and we kind of get all jumbled up. God speaks very clearly through this angel on what the expectation was and how they haven't measured up. He speaks about his own confidence, his own character, his own faithfulness, and then what the consequences of their disobedience will be. I mean, even parents in this room can go, man, I wish I could do this. I wish I could be like, here's what we said, here's what you didn't do, and now here's what's gonna happen. But instead you're like, why? Are you terrible right now? And then all of a sudden, your sin multiplies their sin, and everything's worse. Everything just gets worse when we try to do these kinds of things. So let's just hear how the Lord does it. Judges chapter 2, we hear God's rebuke. Now the angel of the Lord went from Gilgal, the place of covenant renewal, to Bochim, a reminder. I love that kind of reminder. And he said, I brought you from Egypt. It's the Lord speaking. I brought you from Egypt. And I brought you into the land I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant before the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, reject their way of life, reject their way of worship, reject the way they give their affections. I said, I did this, I did this, I did this. I'll keep my covenant and you will be my people. But you have not obeyed my voice. What have you done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words, all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of the Lord, or they called the, the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. I don't know if their sacrifices were wholehearted or half-hearted. I'm inclined to believe they're half-hearted. I'm inclined, it's kind of like, we're sorry, we're sorry, but they demonstrate no, no true obedience. But they are trying, it seems like they're trying to do what's right, but we have no evidence that they stick it out at all. It's almost like, it's almost as if they just feel more bad that they got caught than they feel bad that they, they did it. But either way, there's this rebuke, there's this response, and there is this cycle of crying out, God responding, crying out, God responding, but again, it's not just the disobedience. The problem is they forgot him. They forgot his faithfulness. They forgot his kindness. 
They forgot his provision. They forgot his word. They forgot the command. They forgot him. They departed from him. That's the danger. They left him. They walked away from him. God even had to give them a demonstrable geographical picture of their departure from a place of covenant renewal in Gilgal to a place of disobedience in Bochim. He demonstrated it. And doesn't the Lord do this for us? He actually gives us these types of rebukes and statements where somebody might come to us and deliver us to us and say, we're not doing this the right way. We're not honoring the Lord with this. Like He's so gracious to always send people. But we talked about this all through the month of May. God is a sender. He brings about the words that are needed, and he goes to us in our disobedience. This, is, this gives me great confidence, because perhaps today you wonder, even, even sitting where you are, if there's any way God can forgive the way you have wandered. You know, where you're set up in your metaphorical bokeem and you're living your life in half-truths, half-hearts, and half-obedience, wondering if you could just set up shop there. Wondering if you have any access to God, if God's even concerned about you, or if God gave you up a long time ago. I remember this must have been 12 or 13 years ago uh, this gal came into the church and she wanted to talk and she'd been there a little bit and, and she goes, Hans, honestly, I thought when I walked into a church I was going to catch on fire. Like, that, like that's, that's how disobedient I felt. I don't know what I said at the time, but what I would say now is, did you? Did, did you? Did, you're sitting right here. It doesn't seem like it happened. I was talking to a gentleman some months ago about you guys, actually. And he, he hasn't been around much, but he, he had said, I haven't been in church in a long time, but I don't feel, I, I feel like I would, I would be okay here. I feel, like, I, feel like, I feel like you guys are all right. He was bragging on Brad. He's like, Brad really made me feel at home. And, and I, I, I just, it doesn't seem like you guys would, would just yell at me. We have no yelling to bring. That's not our yelling to do. It's the Lord's. The Lord brings the rebuke. He brings it through messengers. I don't know of voices that come down from the sky and say, hey, you're doing it wrong. God's always used people to bring that about. People, his word, his word, which is written by people. right? Like, like that we have this and that the spirit works and moves in those moments. But if you think that you're in your metaphorical bokeem wondering if God is concerned, I want you to remember this right now in Judges chapter 2, that an angel of the Lord traveled from a place of faithfulness and obedience and covenant renewal in Gilgal, traveled to Bochim and had a conversation with a people who were not living the way that they ought to live. They didn't have to travel back to Gilgal and get it right. The angel came to them, delivered the Lord's message there. The best thing you can do, and you're going to hear it throughout all of the book of Judges and all of the Judges cycles, is, is the response so often is to turn. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, turn to the Lord and trust in his faithfulness to accommodate 
all that has gone on. Do not worry about. Yeah, but now we have, now we're living amongst the Canaanites. Now this is like like none of those things. God did give the disciplinary response, didn't he? Which was now they're going to be a snare. You didn't obey my voice. Now they're going to be a snare. You're going to have to see that this this would have been easier <laughs> had you obeyed. And that is the truth with our sin, isn't it? Is that isn't life easier when you don't sin? I'm just guessing, but like when you sin and you hurt people and you cross God and, you, and you're, a, you're rude to your spouse, you're unloving towards your kids, you cut somebody off in traffic, you say things you wish you wouldn't have said, you thought things you wish you wouldn't have thought, isn't life better if, if or when those things don't or won't exist? Yeah. Lord Jesus is going to come and eradicate sin. Totally eradicate. Life is better without sin in the mix. But there are ways we do live with the consequences of our choices. And the angel is delivering. It's not going to be easy anymore. But with sin, it's never easy. It's hard to live life in sin and enslaved. That's why you have to turn to the Lord. And every time in the book of Judges, his people turn to him, he responds. Every time. They turn to him, he responds. Over decades and decades and decades and decades, when they turn, he responds. Because it's God's character to do that. It's God's kindness to do that. It's God's nature to do just that for us. To respond. It is good to confess sin. John, in his letter, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that was written to believers, friends. That our sin causes issues in everything. But when we turn and we go, Lord, forgive me, I did it again. It's not just the positional forgiveness that we have to worry about in that sense. It's, the, it's, just, it's just so hard to run with lead boots on. I can't live my life like that. By the Lord, do you forgive this? And he does. And you go to the other brothers and sisters that you may have crossed or you may have wronged, and you go, will you forgive me? I hate that there's weight in our relationship. I hate that I caused it. Because we should follow in the same footsteps as Jesus and then we go, of course I do. Of course I do. Thank you. So let's not short circuit being right with God by going, but I'm good with God. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're good positionally. But let's also just be good day to day in our obedience, in our following, in our listening, in our abiding. That's what we heard from Jesus there at the end in the Gospel of John, right? If you abide in me and my words abide with you. Staying close and staying near. So I want us to hear the words from the angel and say this to us. It's hear his voice. You see, obey his commands. But you might even say hear his voice to obey his commands, right? Like one builds on the other and you have to first hear his voice so that you can obey his commands. And I don't just mean hear his voice like just just to read, but engage, hear, delight in, respond to, discuss, 
the things the Lord has given, the things the Lord has revealed, the things the Lord has spoken, even in his word. I was thinking about this for where we are in the calendar. And, you know, we built our, our reading plan over the past two years with like every quarter you reset with a gospel. And, and so in July, I think the first week of July, maybe the second week of July, we restart, I think it's with Mark. And the reason we, we kind of did that was just in case people wanted to like join up together in a discipleship group and discuss the scriptures and talk about it and read it together and help one another, not just mechanistically look at the words and go, okay, I did it, because we have a very quick way of going, check, 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 but actually discussing it and praying over it, talking about the things that you struggle with and how you're trying to obey it specifically, how the Lord is changing you in it. And so I was looking at that even this week, and I went, man, if anybody is interested uh, men with men and women with women, like these groups are three to five, that can really help put us in places where we're regularly being exposed to God's word. I mean, how many of us on our own just go, I'm gonna read the Bible more? And then, you know, like you're like, ah, but I also have to get the kids to school and I have to get to work. And, I, right? and so these things, anybody who I've talked to who's been in a D group usually says something like this. I have not read and thought about the scripture more than when I was in these groups. It forces me to. I can't show up unprepared. Somebody is going to call me on it. They're going to say, hey, you know, what's going on? It's been two weeks of, of you just going, I haven't read this week. Are you okay? Right? Because we always need to be in places where we can hear his voice. Hear his voice. For us, we have his word. We have his word. We should delight in love. We memorize it. Our kids are memorizing it. We'll sing it together in July. So, I mean, even if you just jump on the registrations page on our church center app, like you'll find a tw- July 2023 D group. I have no idea if we can form them. I don't know. I have zero clue if like how many we'd be able to have. But if you want to join up with one of those, grab some people and go, Hans, how do we get started? And I'll give you the stuff to get you started. Many of you have been in one. And so start one. Grab two or three other men, two or three other women and get rolling. It's a time to be in God's word and discuss it and engage it and talk about it, pray over it. And it gives you that kind of consistent slot where you have to engage. I'd also say this. It's hard for us to think like this, but to receive God's rebuke. To receive God's rebuke. We want to hear his word to obey his commands. But some of us, some of us need to realize that the Lord doesn't come at us with a bat, but a cross. And we're so afraid of the rebuke of the Lord, but I tell you, it's going to be more gentle than any rebuke you would receive from anybody else. Because it comes with a way out. And he is the way out. And so perhaps even this morning, there are sins that are weighing you down. And you know that the Lord is is convicting you by his spirit to go, this isn't the way out. Receive that rebuke and return to him. Respond to him. Weep if you must weep. Remember his character and his nature. And the great thing is, You could be reminded of something you did 10 years ago and go, I haven't dealt with that. Great. Great. How kind of God to give us more opportunities to confess 
I have to slow myself down basically every day and confess sin and receive the gentlest, most loving, way out rebuke that anybody would ever give. And the reason is because he who knew no sin became sin so we might become the righteousness of God. Christ took the worst of the rebuke. He took the worst of it. All the consequences of sin were laid upon him so that through faith we could be right. So hear his word. Obey obey what he says. Hear his voice. Obey his word. So we can walk rightly with him. And when we haven't, we can receive his discipline, receive his rebuke. Because the way out is through him too. And he is gracious to respond. We don't want to accommodate we don't want to acquiesce. We don't want to absorb. We want to walk with Jesus. And you know what? I know that's the place where blessing resides. Enjoying life with God. But when we have gotten outside of it, we still have a way to get back in it. To be with him. To walk with him. And it is such a joy. 